Donald Trump outflanks Joe Biden by visiting East Palestine, Ohio with supplies. Joe Biden falls down the stairs again, and radical race agitator Angela Davis finds out about her white ancestry. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, so we try to be as honest as possible about the 2024 presidential race. We try to be as honest as possible about everything on this show. Donald Trump just did a very, very smart thing. Donald Trump just went to East Palestine, Ohio. Now, this was a gimme. It was a layup. It was a slam dunk. But he did it. And that's the thing. And he was capable of doing that specifically because of who he is, but also because of sort of his place in politics right now. So the big controversy for Joe Biden and the Biden administration has been they didn't send anybody to East Palestine, Ohio, after they blew up a mushroom cloud filled with toxic chemicals next to an American town. And there's a railroad car and it went off the off the rails and it was slowly leaking toxic chemicals into the into the soil. And so instead of allowing that slow leak to happen, apparently the EPA decided the best thing to do would be to blow this thing up. So they blew it up and it created this mushroom cloud of dust and, and ash and, and just terrible garbage in the air. And now, of course, the, the authorities are saying it's safe enough to live there. It's safe in, in terms of the water. You have people, public officials going there and drinking more. But the images were obviously terrifying to people. They would be to you if you were living right next door to a giant mushroom cloud filled with toxic chemicals. And the Biden administration essentially did nothing. Pete Buttigieg, the supposedly genius transportation secretary, he did not go to East Palestine, Ohio, which is sort of de rigueur for the job. I've said before, I'm not a big fan of the expectation that politicians have to go to the site of some sort of disaster because, frankly, what are they going to do there? But that is, in fact, the expectation that most people have of politicians these days. And those expectations are real. Pete Buttigieg knows the job that he was hired for. All he does all day long is photo ops. He's the Secretary of Transportation. And when he was running for president, all he did was photo ops. And so him not going was obviously political malfeasance. Joe Biden didn't go to East Palestine, Ohio either. He instead kept going back for the weekend to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, or heading off to Ukraine to do a photo op with Vladimir Zelensky in an attempt to kind of misdirect away from his own failures with a giant Chinese spy balloon. Okay, but this left an opening for Donald Trump. And it was an opening that no other Republican could really fill for a couple of reasons. If you're Ron DeSantis and you're governor of Florida, you can't go to another governor's state and start handing out resources, especially a Republican governor's state. Mike DeWine is the governor of Ohio. DeSantis is the governor of Florida. He's supposed to be home in his own state. If you're Nikki Haley and you're running for president and you show up in East Palestine, Ohio, are you going to show up with truckloads of stuff the way that Donald Trump could? Donald Trump is a very wealthy man. And in fact, this was always his pitch. His pitch was always, I'm wealthier than wealthy. I walk in all of the elite circles. I know all of the elites. They hate me because they hate you. The real re they would all invite me to their parties. I was in their circles. They hate me because they hate you. And now I'm going to put all of that to work on your behalf. That was his pitch in 2016. And what he got away from post-2020 was that. Instead of, they're hitting me because they wish to hit you. Or I'm here to take the bullet for you. Or I'm going to use my impact, my wealth, my fame in order to help you. It turned into, I need you to stand in the line of fire for me. I need you to say as a sort of a loyalty test that I won the 2020 election. And all I'm going to do is just sit there and, and kind of stew in my own anger about the 2020 election. And if you don't go along with me, it's a sign of disloyalty. That is not a good political pitch. Whether you agree with Trump or you don't agree with Trump, it's a bad political pitch for voters. The best part of Trump was always that he is coming down from the heights of American society, from the heights of wealth, from, from the most elite rooms. And he is with you. He's with the people who go to McDonald's. He's with the guys who are truckers in Ohio. So Donald Trump, again, this is a, it is a smart, it is a brilliant political move. I say it's a slam dunk because honestly, it, it kind of is. That doesn't mean that you, you have, you, you do have to stick the landing. And I will say that this is a windmill jam for, for 
President Trump going to East Palestine, Ohio. So he shows up in East Palestine, Ohio, and he's very Trumpy, but Trumpy in like the best way, right? In the way that, because the way that Donald Trump talks is like how the regular people talk. And I say regular people, I mean like how you and your friends talk. So he shows up with a truck filled with Trump water and other not as great water. And he goes to McDonald's with people and he buys them food. Like this is, it's such an easy win for Trump. And he took advantage of it. It's the first good presidential move that he has made in his reelect effort. His launch was a dud. He has spent the last several months just attacking other Republican candidates from, his, from Mar-a-Lago on the toilet on Truth Social. This is an actual smart political move by President Trump. And it also happens to jive with the warmth that a lot of middle Americans have for Donald Trump for reasons like we're about to see. So Trump shows up in his MAGA hat. And here was President Trump bringing water to East Palestine while the EPA administrators are telling you, just drink the tap water. And Trump's like, you know, I understand why you don't want to drink the tap water. Here's some better water. The Biden administration should ensure that every family has the option of moving and homes and everything else until this thing is straightened out. Uh, I do want to uh, especially thank some of the incredible people that uh, helped us because we're bringing thousands of bottles of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it, we had to go to a much lesser quality water. You want to get those Trump bottles, I think, more than anybody else. But we're bringing a lot of water, thousands of bottles, and we have it in trucks, and we brought some on my plane today. But to that end, I'm pleased to announce that we've helped coordinate the delivery of the water and bottled water as uh, well as the tractor trailers full of it. We have big tractor trailers full of water. I think you're going to have plenty of water for a long time, maybe. Okay, again, very, very smart move. And again, the, the, the Trumpian kind of braggadocio combined with the kind of wink, wink, nod, nod, obviously I'm joking stuff. This is like the best of Trump. And you can see how the residents of East Palestine, Ohio, respond to Trump. There's a reason that Ohio turned bright red while Trump was president. Ohio used to be a battleground state. It's not a battleground state anymore. That is a heavy Republican state. Some of that is demographic change. Some of that's people moving out. But some of that is that President Trump really speaks to people like the people who live in East Palestine, Ohio. That is in fact, a town that won 72% for President Trump in the last election cycle. So here is the, Trump with some of the residents of East Palestine. You can see the warmth they have for him. He's walking with crowds. People are taking pictures. What do you make it about Biden not showing up? You showing up before he did. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much. Hey, Trump, take a picture of my phone. Picture. Again, this is this is the charm of Trump. When Trump shows he cares about regular people and he's not busily hunkered down in Mar-a-Lago, this is the best of Trump. And that was his whole day in East Palestine. It's, it's as I say, the best political move that he has made in the race so far by a country mile. It is not particularly close. Well, here's a good move that you can make in your own life. You can stop giving extra money to all of the big phone companies. There's no reason for you to be paying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars extra to Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile when you could be using one of the same cell phone networks, same cell tower networks, but doing it like half the price. This is why you should switch on over to Pure Talk. Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year when they switch from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. You can save 900 bucks a year on your wireless bill and still enjoy that ultra-fast 5G service. Get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of data for just 30 bucks a month. Pure Talk is so sure you're going to love your service. They're backing it up with 100% money-back guarantee. Stop paying a fortune to Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile. Cut your bill in half with Pure Talk. Their U.S.-based customer service team makes the switch super simple. Switch on over to Pure Talk in as little as 10 minutes while keeping your phone and your phone number. Your first month is guaranteed risk-free. 
and I switched over to Pure Talk for all my business calls, it's great. The coverage is excellent. And again, it's not costing me an arm and a leg. Head on over to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month. That's puretalk.com, promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless restrictions apply. See site for details. Okay, so President Trump then took everybody over to the local McDonald's and he bought McDonald's for everybody from the policemen to the firefighters to just everybody who's in the restaurant. And again, the, the inimitable Trump style comes through here. This is a, I, I can't stress enough, it is a stylish visit for Trump, right? It is within his, this is, this is his MO and this is where his popularity lies. And if he did this full time, he, he, frankly, he would still be president if he had done this full time while he was president of the United States. Enjoy your meal. And we're going to get the meals for the fire department. Hello, everybody. What's your specialty today? How are you today? Nice to meet you. Hello, everybody. That's a nice, beautiful looking group of people. So I know this menu better than you do. Okay? I probably know it better than anybody in here. Uh, we're going to take care of the fire department. Okay. We're going to take care of the police department. And what we do is all the people that are eating. Right I'm now. the owner, Mr. Tr Mr. Oh, President. So How are you? I don't have to give him. That's right. <laughs> That's a good one to own, right? Yes, it is. One of the best. So we're going to take care of your fire force. Plus the people that are in here. They're and you got to love it. you got to love it. Right, this is, again, the, the idea that, that Trump is an aspirational figure for a lot of people because of stuff like this. He's uber wealthy, but he knows the McDonald's menu better than anybody else. So he's regular person, Donald Trump, but he's sort of what people aspire to be. That is the best aspect of Trump. He also completely wrong-footed the Biden administration. So literally within the last 48 hours, Pete Buttigieg, who is the candidate of white college-educated female elites, that, 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 that's Pete Buttigieg's base. Pete Buttigieg has no blue-collar base. Pete Buttigieg has no minority base. Pete Buttigieg is a media creation because he is a gay man in politics who is good on TV. And he's been completely wrong-footed by this entire situation. I think that he thought that he could fly right over the top of it. He figured, okay, listen, I'm the secretary of transportation, but this was a private railroad car and it really has nothing to do with me. And I don't have to sort of deign to get my hands dirty by going to East Palestine, Ohio. I'll just appear on the media and the media will cover for me like they've always covered for me. This is one of the dangers of having the media in your corner all the time. When they act as your Praetorian guard, it creates a bubble around you. And when reality pierces the bubble, sometimes you don't even notice because your feedback loops are broken. You don't actually have a channel for hearing the feedback. In his circles, I'm sure Pete Buttigieg was getting feedback that he was doing great. He was going on the media. He was talking about how everything was going to be fine in East Palestine, Ohio. And so he didn't bother to show up. And so in the last 48 hours, he was asked about that. He said, well, I'm not just going to go for a photo op. That's not something I'm going to do. I'm not just going to, I'm not a photo op guy. You have said that you would visit East Palestine, uh, East Palestine when the time is right. But it's been two weeks since this dis derailment. When is the time right? So I'm planning to go, and when I do, it will be focused on action, not on politics, not on show. Uh, in the early days, I have been respecting the role that the independent NTSB plays and staying out of their way. But we are now entering the policy phase of our response to this. Okay, so that was a BS excuse in the first place. If you're telling me Pete Buttigieg is humble enough in his role as sort of a government agent that, that he just doesn't want to step on any toes. Pete Buttigieg was going on national TV to talk about why it was okay for him to leave his job for two and a half months because he had to be on paternity leave. Pete Buttigieg eats the camera. I mean, that guy has red light syndrome like few people I've ever seen. If there is a red light anywhere in sight, 
If he's like going down the street and a red light appears half a mile down the road, he runs over there. He tightens up his his tie and he straightens his lapel pin. And then he starts talking to the to the stoplight. I mean, that, that that's who Pete Buttigieg is. That dude loves Cameron. So this idea that he's like avoiding photo ops is really silly. And it's really, really silly given his timing. So Pete Buttigieg goes on to be like, I'm, I'm not going to go just for a photo op. Literally the day after Trump shows up in East Palestine, Ohio, we get an announcement from NBC News. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg will visit East Palestine, Ohio on Thursday. Literally the day after Trump went. So anytime in the last two weeks, he could have gone. Only the day after Trump went, he's like, well, I guess now I have to go deal with these, you know, these rust belt idiots, these bitter clingers. I guess I got to go deal with these, these terrible cisgender homophobic. Yeah, like it's, it's just, it's absurd. It's absurd. So, so now he's going literally the day after and we're supposed to believe that it's all about policy. It is not all about policy, obviously. His media bubble got burst. And because his media bubble got burst, he is now showing up in East Palestine, Ohio. So Buttigieg plans to meet with community members, get an update from the NTSB, that is the National Transportation Safety Board investigation, and hear from the Transportation Department investigators who are on the ground in the hours after that February 3rd derailment, according to the department. A spokesperson said that Buttigieg had said he would visit the area when it was appropriate to do so and when it would not detract from emergency response efforts. The visit will coincide with the NTSB's release of a preliminary report on Thursday about its investigation into the derailment. But... Let's be real about this. Trump doesn't go. Buttigieg does not go, at least not on Thursday. He waits a few more days. Meanwhile, the White House is trying to blame Trump himself for the derailment. That is a dog that just ain't going to hunt. I mean, it just fails on every possible level. Well, speaking of failure on every possible level, I got to tell you, I don't eat my vegetables. I'm a failure when it comes to eating my vegetables. I don't get the nutrients that I need by eating salad because salad is Satan's creation. Anybody, this is one of my theories about life. Anyone who says that they like salad is lying to you. What they mean is, I'm not going to die if I eat a salad, but if you literally put any other food in front of them and a salad, they will pick the other food. Well, if you're like me and you hate vegetables with the fiery hatred of a thousand suns, you probably should try out Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are the best way to make sure that you are getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their products are 100% whole food. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in whole fruits and vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Balance of Nature even sent a bunch of their product down to the studio for my team to try. We love them. It makes us more energetic. It means that we are getting our nutrients. I was excited to find out the product is certified kosher. So I'm actually able to use Balance of Nature and enjoy the benefits of Balance of Nature. And again, eat, not eat the vegetables I don't want to eat. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer, plus a free fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first preferred order. Okay, so the White House is trying to blame Trump for the East Palestine derailment. They put out a statement yesterday suggesting that it was because of the rail lobbyists gutting all of the regulations from the Obama Biden rail safety protections back in 2016, 2017. It turns out that is not true at all. Okay, all of the Obama era regulations did not apply to this particular train. Now, here's the reality. In a country of 340 million people that spans an entire continent, bad stuff is going to happen. That's just going to happen. There is no system of government regulation that is going to prevent all bad things from happening. The question is the response. And this is why Biden is going to get blamed. It's why Buttigieg is going to get blamed. If they had been on the ground immediately providing resources and explaining to the cameras it was a serious situation they were taking it seriously, they wouldn't be getting the kind of heat that they're getting today. Instead, trying to blame Trump for regulations in like 2017, like the year, the calendar is now 2023. Joe Biden has been president for more than two years at this point. You don't get to blame the last guy for a train disaster that happened on your watch. That is not the way any of that works. That dog is just not going to hunt. So meanwhile, the media, I, I, I'm honestly amazed and, uh, and amused 
at how the media may have just let Donald Trump legally off the hook. It's, it's kind of hilarious. So they have been for years, for literally years, begging for an indictment of Donald Trump. Since he was president of the United States, like right after it, they were like, we should indict him for treason, man. And then it was, we should indict him for corruption. And then it was, well, there's an investigation in New York. And that investigation in New York will totally get him. And there's an investigation in Washington, D.C., and there's one in Georgia, and that'll totally get him. Well, finally, they thought they had their man. They thought they had their man because there were some grand jury indictments that were handed down. The grand jury recommended a series of indictments in Georgia surrounding a Fulton County investigation into post-election interference by Trump. You remember there was this phone call between Trump and Brad Raffensperger. Again, all this has been public knowledge for literally years at this point. He called up Brad Raffensperger, who's the Secretary of State of Georgia, and he said, Brad, I want you to find me 11,253, however many votes it was, that would put him over the top. And that could have been read in one of two ways. Either, as Trump saying, I want you to manufacture out of thin air these votes so I win the state. Or I think that it's pretty obvious that, that fraud occurred in Georgia. And let's be real about this. I won the state. All I need to win the state is this many. And you know that there were that many fraudulent votes, at least. That's what I'm looking at. Right. So the first thing looks like election interference. The second thing looks more like Trump spouting off. My theory of Donald Trump is always that Donald Trump is spouting off because Donald Trump is always spouting off. That has always seemed like a significantly more accurate take on who Trump is as a human being than Trump is sitting there meticulously with like an abacus figuring out how many votes need to be moved from one side to the other and how many need to be created out of that. I don't think that level of forethought goes into nearly anything that President Trump does. Okay, put that aside. There's a grand jury investigation into this whole thing. And there were a bunch of indictments that were theoretically going to come down from the district attorney, Fannie Willis. Well, now, because the media could not get enough of this case, they may have just destroyed the possibility of any indictments of Trump in the Georgia case. Why? Well, because there is a grand jury forewoman named Emily Coors who decided that she was going to appear on the media and the media could not get enough of her. And let me just make this clear. She is a super weirdo, Emily Coors. Okay, uh, apparently Emily Coors is a Wiccan or something. And her appearance on her appearance on national television is super strange. According to the Daily Mail, the Georgia grand jury forewoman who laughed about bringing down former President Trump has a wacky Pinterest page with collections of pinned magic spells and all things witchy. Always a good look. Showing once again that the problem with the jury system is that it relies on people who are too stupid to avoid jury duty. Emily Kors has been on a bizarre media tour that is already causing headaches for prosecutors after she giggled during a televised interview with MSNBC when she said she kind of wanted to subpoena Trump just to get the chance to swear him in. Apparently, many of her social media accounts have been deleted, but her Pinterest page remains with several collections of pins dedicated to Wicca and witchcraft. Uh, what now? She, she has a collection of pins dedicated to Wicca and witchcraft. Where do you even get those? They make those, I guess, Pinterest page. I guess you make those yourself. And is there a line of, I got to tell you, comparative advantage is an amazing thing. Capitalism, you can still find pins for, for Wiccans. Some of the pins apparently give instructions for magic spells. Others list herbs and other supplies for the spells. And as you would imagine, a person who has that sort of stuff on her Pinterest page is a giant weirdo. So, so she was asked on CNN about the list of indictments that the grand jury is going to bring down. And she starts giggling very oddly like a bizarre movie villain. Here we go. Is it, would you say, when it comes to, there are, indi there oh are indictments recommended, of course. Is it yes. more than the 12 people? Is it more than 20 people? I think if you look at the page numbers of the report, there's about six pages in the middle that got cut out. Allow for spacing. 
It's not a short list. Not a short list. <laughs> More, I mean, if, when it comes to 75 witnesses, like, it, it, is it, it's not, I assume, of course, it's right. not 75 people. Would you characterize it as 20-ish people? What's happening? I can't say I counted. <laughs> okay. More than a dozen, what though, is- I think I'd heard you say in another interview. What in the world? I believe so. Oh, our jury system is screwed. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. Just like what? What? The camera is here. I talk to a camera every day. When you talk to a camera, look into the camera as a general rule. That was like that Winona Ryder clip from the Oscar, from the, what was it? The, the Emmy several years ago, where she's like looking around bizarrely in the middle of the Emmys and, and turned into a meme with, with all of these complex equations. And she's kind of looking across, like, you could easily do that with that same exact clip. She's got the eyebrow going. That's so weird. I'm sorry. She's a weirdo. That's, that's so straight. My, my favorite thing about that is that you know how somebody is made the jury four person is the other people in the jury are like that one. How? How, how is this the person in the room where everyone in the room is like, she's got to be the four person. Like she's eminently qualified. She does cast spells, guys. What, what did she do? Did she, did she like create a, did she take out like a witch's pot? And she's like, guys, unless you make me the jury four person, I'm going to boil this frog, kill this cat, spill its blood in there, mix it with a little bit of turmeric and then put it on your head. And you yourself will turn it into a llama. Like what, what exactly did she do to get the jury four person role? Because what the, what, what is happening? I have more, I have more from the grand jury four person who, again, the media couldn't help but have her on. And in doing so, they completely tainted every jury pool in the state of Georgia. So just slow clap for the media. So eager to get Trump and to cover Trump that they may have just prevented an indictment of Trump. Like, just genius-level stuff there. It's... <laughs> Woo! Get to that in a second. Have a good time with the grand jury four-person here in Georgia. Speaking of good times, you need to preserve your family's memories of all of your good times with Legacy Box. So this makes a fantastic gift for mom, for dad, for yourself. So if you go out in mom and dad's garage, they've got a bunch of old film reels. I did this for my parents, which is why I speak about it in terms of parents. I went out in my parents' garage. They had a bunch of old film reels. They did not have a film projector. They had a bunch of old VHS tapes. No one has a VCR anymore. And all of these old home movies were kind of falling apart. I took all of them. I put them in Legacy Box. I sent them to Legacy Box. Legacy Box then preserved them for posterity by digitizing all of that stuff. Legacy Box is a simple, safe way to digitize your treasured videotapes, film reels, and photos. Everything is professionally digitized right here in the United States. Just send in your old media. Their team will send everything back in a digital format so you can share it on social media for your family and friends. Over a million families have trusted Legacy Box to preserve their memories. So should you. Legacy Box is offering my listeners right now an incredible $9 tape offer that is over 60% off. Visit LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro to shop $9 tape and film transfers. There's a limited quantity available. They are selling fast. That's LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. There's never been a better time to convert your entire collection over right now to digitize all of that material. It makes a great gift. Go check them out right now. LegacyBox.com slash Shapiro. Digitize those memories and save them forever. Okay, so we have more from this grand jury for woman. Uh, it's wild. It's wild. So here she was on MSNBC fantasizing about swearing in Donald Trump between apparently fattening up Hansel and Gretel. Did you personally want to hear from the former president? I wanted to hear from the former president, but honestly, I kind of wanted to subpoena the former president because I got to swear everybody in. Mm. And so I thought it'd be really cool to get 60 seconds with President Trump of me looking at him and being like, do you solemnly swear? And me getting to swear him in? I just, I kind of just thought that would be an awesome moment. Never do witchcraft, kids. It's bad for your brain. Woo! So even 
CNN was saying like, yeah, this is this is a problem. This is a real problem. So here was um, a CNN commentator pointing out that this is really, really bad saying, you know, if uh, if the Georgia grand jury four person would like people charged, you should probably shut up, probably shut up. Well, yeah. I'm positive I've heard the president on the phone more than once. She wouldn't go into more specifics. I see you shaking your head, Elliot. She's just no. kind of talking here about some of the evidence, but there could be some more compelling sound out there. Sure, but but here's the problem that is created with a statement like that, Victor. The entire Fulton County, Georgia, could potentially be anybody in Fulton County who's, who's, a, who's sort of over the age of 18 can be a potential juror in this trial. They're hearing now evidence that's going to be presented before them at trial and developing opinions about it, de- developing opinions about defendants that too can taint the prosecution. If this individual who we're hearing from really wants these people charged with crimes so badly, she better shut her mouth about them because ultimately she could imperil their convictions if they ever reach that point. That's Elliot Williams, a former federal prosecutor. It's hysterical because in the end, it's not about the, the crazy, wicked grand jury four person. It's about the media because the media didn't have to do this. They desperately wanted Trump indicted. And now because they were so desperate to have on the lady who's crazy to talk about the Trump indictments, they may have poisoned the entire grand jury pool preventing his indictment. So according to CBS News, lawyers close to several Republican witnesses in the Fulton County investigation into the post-election interference are preparing to quash any possible indictments now. That special purpose grand jury served as an investigative body that could recommend charges but could not indict. Now, the DA is deciding whether to pursue those charges and open a regular criminal grand jury. Now, that means that the, this is an attenuated claim by the, by the Trump team. They, they have to say that the investigative grand jury has tainted the jury pool so much that you can't have sort of a second grand jury that can recommend charges. Okay, like it's it's unlikely to be successful legally speaking. But again, when when it comes to a if there were a conviction in this case, it's now going to be pretty easy for Team Trump to claim the entire jury pool was tainted early. So, again, amazing, amazing stuff from our media. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is stumbling downstairs again. President Trump is has been ripped up and down by the media for his supposed crazy and all the rest of this stuff. Joe Biden will be 86 years old when he leaves office if he is reelected. And he is saying he wants to run for president. Well, before you can run, you have to be able to walk. And Joe Biden seems particularly unable to do basic human functions at this point in a wide variety of ways. It doesn't mean that it's not possible for him to win. I mean, he was pretty much dead during the last election cycle. And every so often they would trot out his body and they would move his mouth. And then he got elected president of the United States. He'd go back down in the basement. They'd put him in the coffin, close it up. And then... You know, store them there for the next day. They can do the same thing again, but it is not a great look that it's it's actually kind of hard to watch the president of the United States because it, it feels like watching the Walendas cross a tightrope between volcanoes. You're like, I, I don't like I, I'm not sure I want to watch President Biden go upstairs. It's, it's as an American, it's hard to watch the president of the United States and think, man, if that dude misses a step, we're going to be watching. I've fallen and I can't get up the commercial from 1997. Here, here's what happened to Joe Biden yesterday. Right now, he's aboard Air Force One, probably watching this after this trip where he came to Eastern Europe to show the world that NATO stands strong. But on his way up the stairs, the president did slip for a moment, losing his balance above uh, on Air Force One staircase. He is okay as far as we know. And this shouldn't be too big of a distraction from the point of this trip, which was to make NATO look as tough as possible to Russia and China, who appear to be teaming up in Ukraine. 
I mean, it's better than the last time he went up the stairs and fell down when he fell down like three times going up the stairs. So I guess that, that's, that's a gradual improvement. We're going to need an elevator for this guy. Uh, I think is probably the solution. Well, Politico is reporting Biden may not run. Top Democrats are quietly preparing uh, that there is no plan B. I'm sorry, there's no plan B. They have to run him. They do not have a choice. They, they will prop him upright. They will infuse him with whatever taxidermist skill they have. And then they will just put him around. And, and that'll be that. He'll look like one of the one of the weird stuffed humans in the original Planet of the Apes, and they will just be wheeling him around to campaign stops, and they'll play like a recording. They'll have like a tape recorder back here, and then they'll put him back in the train and go on. Politico is is wish casting here. They say Joe Biden's closest advisors have spent months preparing him to formally announce his reelect campaign, but the president's still not ready to make the plunge. A sense of doubt is creeping into conversations around 2024. What if he decides not to now? The, the kind of going wisdom is the only reason that he would decide not to run is if he actually believes that Trump is not going to get is not going to get the nomination. In other words, he likes running against Trump because he won last time and he thinks he would win this time against Trump. Now, number one, that is no sure thing by any stretch of the imagination. Number two, it is quite possible that Trump does not get the nomination. Ron DeSantis has continued to make very strong moves in the state of Florida that are setting a real groundwork for loyalty from a lot of Trump's base. The polls right now show that individual matchups in a wide variety of primary states, DeSantis may be outpacing Trump. Now, again, Trump has that solid 25% floor. He ain't going below 25% in any primary. That's a pretty good place to be if the primary vote splits seven ways from Sunday. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen in the Republican primaries. I think this is essentially already a two-person race between DeSantis and Trump, even though DeSantis is not yet declared. According to Breitbart, over the last couple of days, there have been a couple of bills that have been proposed in the Florida state legislature that would ban mandatory diversity, equity, and inclusion statements from the hiring and tenure processes in higher education. So again, Ron DeSantis and the Florida legislature are doing yeoman's work in the state of Florida. I love the state of Florida, obviously. The legislation would require that public colleges establish an office of public policy events. That office would seek to foster debates and discourse on campus. The legislation is part of a broader attempt to reform higher education in the state of Florida and cut out the DEI and critical race theory agenda. All of this is quite good. Meanwhile, DeSantis and its handling of the media, I have to say it is about pitch perfect. It is really, really good. So you'll recall that Andrea Mitchell the other day lied about Ron DeSantis. She said that it was impossible to teach slavery in the state of Florida. She said you, you couldn't teach slavery. You couldn't teach about black history in the state of Florida. All of that was predicated on Ron DeSantis saying that he did not accept the advanced placement courses that included in African-American history, like queer theory and critical race theory and all the rest of this mumbo jumbo garbage. So obviously you can still teach all of this stuff and duty and it is mandated that you teach slavery and black history in the United States in high school classes in every school in Florida, right? All that is, is actually mandated. Andrea Mitchell lied about that. She said that you couldn't teach any of those things. And then she claimed that she was imprecise in her description. But it wasn't being imprecise. She lied, which prompted Brian Griffin, uh, who is a, um, a press secretary for DeSantis, to respond to MSNBC attempts to book DeSantis with this letter, quote, I think we need to take a step back. There will be no consideration of anything related to NBC Universal or its affiliates until and at least... Andrea Mitchell corrects this blatant lie she made about the governor. The direct quote was, DeSantis says slavery and the aftermath of slavery should not be taught to Florida school children. NBC and its affiliates display a consistent track record of truthful reporting. That's what we need in order for DeSantis to appear on your network. Please feel free to pass this up and around the network. Sincerely, Brian Griffin, press secretary. That happens to be 
Absolutely correct. And that's exactly how every Republican candidate should treat the left-wing press. If you're going to lie about me, I'm not coming on your shows. There's no reason for me to come about on your shows when you overtly lie. And then when you're when your crawl down is, I was imprecise. Again, it, the problem wasn't that Andrea Mitchell was imprecise. It's that she was incredibly precise and lying. That, in fact, is the big problem. All right, well, meanwhile, if you are worried about the state of the economy and you've been trying to run a business throughout the pandemic and then Biden inflation, now the coming stagnation, if you pay too much to the federal government in taxes, you should try to claw back some of that. This is where innovation refunds comes in. If your business has five or more employees and managed to survive COVID, you could be eligible to receive a payroll tax rebate of up to $26,000 per employee. It's not a loan. There's no payback. It's a refund on your taxes. The challenge is how exactly to get your hands on it. Head on over to getrefunds.com. Their team of tax attorneys are highly trained in this little-known payroll tax refund program. They've already returned $1 billion to businesses. They can help you as well. They do all the work, no charge up front. Simply share a percentage of the cash they get for you. Businesses of all types can qualify, including those who took PPP nonprofits, even those who had increases in sales. So head on over to getrefunds.com. Click on Qualify Me. Answer a few quick questions. This payroll tax refund is only available for a limited amount of time. Do not miss out. Go to getrefunds.com. Again, that's getrefunds.com. Simple fact of the matter is that if you overpaid to the federal government, why wouldn't you try to claw back some of that money? You can if you head on over to getrefunds.com right now. Again, that's getrefunds.com. Talk to my friends over at Innovation Refunds. Don't leave your money on the table. That would be a foolish move. Getrefunds.com. Also, folks, it's no secret that the left really does not like the country, and they would love to rewrite our history. They villainize our heroes. They omit key details from the historical record. Like they omit the fact, this is a fact. You probably didn't know this. On Christmas night, 1776, George Washington crossed the Delaware River in a sneak attack against the British, but only after he shaved with the Jeremy's razor. You think that I'm making that up. I am not like Andrea Mitchell. Few people know that. It's a sad reflection on our woke history. Like Washington before us, you can fight back against woke tyranny. All you have to do is pick up a magnificent Jeremy's razor during our 30% off President's Day sale. It's time to celebrate American history, not cancel it. Unless you want our founding fathers renamed to our founding non-birthing parents, go to jeremysrazors.com today. Get 30% off any razor. That's jeremysrazors.com today. Alrighty, folks. So meanwhile, I got to say, this is the funniest story, not just of the day, but probably of the year. <laughs> this is super, super funny. So there is a woman. Her name, I'm going to completely screw up her name. Her name is apparently Asia Kamsin. She's a Tanzanian fashion designer based in Houston, Texas. and. She realized, apparently the other day, that Sam Britton, you remember Sam Britton? Sam Britton was the weirdo who was in charge of nuclear waste disposal because he is a nuclear waste toxic fire. And Sam Britton, is all, he was the first gender non-binary public official, and he was in all the photographs. He was going to the French embassy with our transgender assistant secretary of health and human services, Rachel Levine, who is a, who is a dude. And Sam Britton, you know, with the beard and the shaved head wearing dresses, it turns out Sam Britton, had a lot of baggage. And when I say he had a lot of baggage, I mean he was literally stealing people's baggage off of turnstiles at, at the airport. And he was caught doing this. And, and he denied it and he lied about it. And then it turned... So, <laughs> so this woman, Asya Kamsin, is a Tanzanian fashion designer based in Houston, Texas. And she realized, quote, I lost my bag in 2018 at DCA, right? Which is, I believe, Dulles. Recently, I heard the news on Fox News about Sam Britton's luggage issue. Surprisingly, I found his images, wore my custom-made outfit, which was in my lost bag in 2018. <laughs> oh, oh, the cultural appropriation. Oh, the gender appropriation. Oh, the actual physical appropriation of somebody else's luggage. 
It's like all the things. This story is all the things. So he's not just stealing femininity. He's not just stealing the Tanzanian culture. He's literally stealing somebody's baggage with the femininity and the Tanzanian culture and then wearing it in photos, which is amazing. Okay, think of how think of how crazy you have to be, how sociopathic you have to be that you steal somebody's clothes. And you're not just like a, a, a random person stealing somebody's clothes and like wearing it out to the local CVS or the Ralphs or something. You are a prominent public figure who is constantly being photographed and seeking the limelight and you're wearing the stolen clothes publicly. You know, obviously it's a fetishistic thing for this weirdo, but it's like, wow, wow. So she then dropped all of the various <laughs> pictures of her clothes and, and Sam Britton wearing them. So she, she put out, like she did a fashion show in Tanzania in 2018, Lady in Red. And then there's a picture of Sam Britton wearing the exact piece of clothing at the, <laughs> at the premiere of a... Uh, uh, I guess it was the premiere of Love, Simon, which is like a gay love story over at Netflix. It's like unbelievable stuff and wearing high heels and like wearing this person's outfits at public events, at public events. It's the greatest thing in the entire world. It's spectacular. Like, how is that real? How? But apparently it's real. Because diversity, folks, diversity means that a white man can be a non-binary, gender-stealing weirdo who steals other people's luggage from a woman of color and then wears all of her culturally appropriate attire, but it's inappropriate because he's a white dude, but it's okay because he's not just a, he's not just a, a regular white dude. He's a white dude with the magical star of LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign. It's just like slow clap genius quality little stuff there. Love it. Love it. It is, it is the best. It is so good. So uh, it, it, it does show you where we have come as a culture. And that person was championed by the Biden administration. Champion. This person was a hero of gender. This person was a person we should all look up to. Our children should look up to Sam Britton. They, them, she, sure. And we should, we should aspire that our children be just like authentic, free, stealing other people's stuff. Again, slow clap for the Biden administration. That, that is an excellent hire. Now, in, in the same sort of vein, this is, Pretty hysterical. We keep seeing this spate of people who are white masquerading now as minorities. And we saw, obviously, Rachel Dolezal was doing this. Now, I have to point out here that in American culture today, if you're a white person, you masquerade as a black person like Rachel Dolezal. We all think that you're crazy and we make fun of you for literally years and you become a household name. If you're a man and you say you're a woman, you're a hero. Which is strange because it turns out that race is a lot more of a socially constructed category than sex. Sex is not a socially constructed category. Biological sex and sexual dichotomy between male and female is literally the basis of all mammalian propagation. But put that aside, the fact that we are idiots, and so we suggest that racial appropriation is way, way worse than gender appropriation. Put that aside. There is something weird about a society that is supposedly so racist and so terrible where you're not seeing a lot of black Americans attempting to look white or pass, right? That is a vestige of America's horrifying racial past in which in order to live a normal life, and by a normal life, I mean sort of the, the standard American opportunistic life, very often you would have black people who would attempt to pass for white, right? That, that was a symptom of a broken racial culture in the United States. Now things are sort of broken weirdly in reverse where you have white people who are attempting to appropriate black culture and to be black or to be Muslim or to be a minority group simply so they are not labeled white, which shows you where we are culturally speaking. I had... Again, I, I've yet to see a publicized case 
of a black person masquerading as white recently, but you do see a wide variety of cases of white people who are masquerading as members of minorities. So this happened again. The Intercept is now reporting that members of the American Friends Service Committee, a prominent Quaker organization known for its progressive values and social justice advocacy in the United States and abroad, have now raised an alarm about a woman holding a leadership position within the organization who they say has misrepresented her ethnic background for years. And they fear may be working on behalf of groups seeking to undermine their organization. Raquel Evita Saraswati, a Muslim activist who for years has encouraged people to believe she is a woman of color, including Latina, as well as South Asian and Arab descent, is the AFSC's Chief Equity, Inclusion, and Culture Officer. That is a senior position that gives her access to files of dozens of the organization's staff and volunteers. But unfortunately, according to her mom, she's a white lady. Her mom is a woman named Carol Perone. Quote, I call her Rachel. I don't know why she's doing what she's doing. Saraswati, her mother added, is of British, German, and Italian descent, not Latina, South Asian, or Arab. I'm as white as the driven so, and so is she, added Perone, who shared within the intercept photos of Saraswati as a child. In the photos, which the mother asked not be published, Saraswati's complexion is significantly lighter than the bronze look in more recent photographs. Perone also shared with the intercept her Ancestry.com profile and a photo of Saraswati's biological father, who's dead. Another relative who has not to be identified confirmed Saraswati is white. Perone noted her daughter converted to Islam in high school, and at some point, she seemed to have felt the need to portray herself as having a different ethnic identity. I'm German and British. Her father was a Calabrese Italian, her mother added. She's chosen to live a lie. I find that very, very sad. Oscar Pierre Castro, a human resources professional who participated in the search committee to fill Saraswati's position, told The Intercept that, get ready for this, she had presented herself as a queer, Muslim, multi-ethnic woman. But why? Why, you ask, would somebody do this? The answer is because that is a, that is a status symbol in America now. If you present yourself as a queer Muslim, multi-ethnic woman, that is a good way to get a job now, which suggests that America isn't quite that racist. In fact, it sort of suggests that if there is a racial bias, broadly speaking on a cultural level right now, it mostly applies to what we would call white people, that there, there is a huge cultural bias against white people in hiring. That if you're a company you're looking to hire, you're looking for diversity. And if you're looking for diversity, that means non-white people, for example. And so predictably, that incentivizes people to masquerade as non-white. Uh, these sorts of stories are indicative of a broader cultural shift uh, that, you know, again, should be disturbing because we should be treating individuals as individuals, not as people who check particular boxes on their diversity forms. And meanwhile, the most ironic story of the day, I, again, another wonderful, wonderful story. So Angela Davis is a terrible person. Angela Davis is widely beloved by the left. She's an insanely radical, crazy person, a full-on socialist was literally on the FBI's most wanted list for years because in August of 1970, she was apparently complicit in a bloody event in which she was charged with three capital offenses, including murder. Right? The New York Times reported this a while back. In 1969, Davis was an assistant professor in the philosophy department at the University of California, LA. She was fired at the beginning of the school year for her membership in the Communist Party. After a court ruled the termination illegal, she was fired again nine months later for using inflammatory rhetoric in public speeches. She became close to a trio of black inmates nicknamed the Soledad brothers who had been charged with the murder of a white prison guard in January 1970. One, George Jackson, was an activist and writer that Davis befriended. In August 1970, after Jackson's younger brother, Jonathan, used firearms registered to Angela Davis in a takeover Marin County courthouse that left four people dead, she came under suspicion because they were her guns that were used in the murders, and she became an outlaw. J. Edgar Hoover placed Davis on the FBI's 10 most wanted list. She was the third woman ever to be included. There was a nationwide manhunt. President Nixon congratulated the Bureau on capturing the dangerous terrorist Angela Davis. 
And then, of course, the left decided that she was a wonderful person. She was a political prisoner. Um, by by a uh, political prisoner, we mean that she apparently actively participated in or allegedly actively participated in an actual murder and jailbreak plot. And of course, she continues to be a terrible communist who has been propped up by the left, which is a thing that the left likes to do. They like to suggest, of course, that radicals who are communists are, are somehow better than radicals of other stripes, which, which is not true. Well, Angela Davis's entire life has been built on the, on the notion that America is a deeply racist, terrible place, and that she is representative of, of, on, uh, of under attack minorities. Well, something very ironic happened to Angela Davis. She did Henry Louis Gates's show, which is all about ancestry. And uh, there have been some kind of interesting moments on uh, on Henry Louis Gates' show before. So most most famously, uh, Ben Affleck uh, did an episode in in which he found out that um, he had a slave holding ancestor, and he got very very upset about this. Now, I think most normal people look at their ancestry and they're like, well, I can't change any of that, so who cares? Uh, but it was a big controversy at the time. Well, now this one is is pretty rich. Angela Davis is sitting there and she finds out that one of her ancestors arrived on the American Mayflower, which means that for all of her anti-Americanism, one of her great, 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 great grandparents was one of the original American white settlers. Yeah, man. Here is Henry Louis Gates with Angela Davis. That is a list of the passengers on the Mayflower. No, I can't believe this. No. My ancestors did not come here on the Mayflower. You, your ancestors came no. on the Mayflower. No, no, no. You no. are descended no, no, no. from one of the 101 people who sailed on the Mayflower. Oof. That's a little bit too much <laughs> to deal with right now. Did you ever in your wildest dreams think that you may have descended from people who laid never the foundation never for this country never <laughs> never and so the, like her disbelief and her kind of shock and she she obviously looks a little bit upset about this is kind of amazing right this is you know america is an amazing place in which angela davis's ancestors from you know obviously her the black side of her family were victimized in the united states obviously but also, it means that some of the founders of the United States are in her are in her lineage. So I'm not sure which side of her pays reparations to the other side. But her entire notion, which is that America is is a terrible place of racial oppression and brutality, then that means she has to look into her own ancestry. Right? There's always this awkward problem with history, and the awkward problem with history is that it's filled with bad people and good people and people on all sides, and many of them are in your genealogy. And what that means is no one is responsible for their own genealogy. And trying to blame all present evils on genealogy or trying to blame it on ancestry is a sign of a sick civilization. Instead, perhaps, Angela Davis might realize that history is complex and weird and ugly and strange and shocking, and that we should, instead of attempting to blame all problems in the United States on ancestry, we should attempt to figure out solutions for the here and now. So that that is uh, that is some pretty amazing stuff from Henry Louis Gates. And meanwhile, speaking of you know kind of great moments in America's racial conflagration, there's a teenager in Minnesota who confronted the Rosemount High School school board, talking about the teaching of critical race theory, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and all of and all of the rest. 
Good for this teenager. We need more people like this teenager. This has gone viral and it's well worth the listen. In another separate instance, I was told that writing all lives matter on the whiteboard was political and could be seen as offensive. When I questioned the teacher after class, she told me that she didn't have an answer and she just had to erase it and it was quickly erased. There are political signs all over RHS specific, about specific races that matter, specific sexual orientations that matter, and specific perspectives that matter. But when I questioned the RHS administration about how these signs were political, they told me that they were supporting human rights. So when I questioned why the equity statement couldn't represent all students, they told me that to even ask that question was outlandish and offensive. And they, when I asked why that was, they told me, quote, whites have a pretty good situation right now, unquote. So is that not racism? Disregarding my question merely because of the color of my skin. To be honest, after enduring a year of the people in charge telling me that I'm a racist and I'm privileged and pointing out our irreversible differences, I've never noticed race more. And it's becoming the first thing I notice when I meet someone, which has never before been the case. So good for this kid. And all it takes is a little bit of courage to push back on these school boards. And the school boards very often collapse like a house of cards. Very, very good stuff there from that particular teenager. And we need some more courage. It shouldn't be left to teenagers to be saying this sort of stuff. This is why, as I've said before, you should get involved with the 1776 Project that's run by Ryan Gadersky. He goes around and tries to actually win school boards back on behalf of parents who've been successful in over 100 cases. Taking back the school boards is, is one of the most important things that, that can happen here. And all that takes is a little bit of a push. Good for that teenager. Good for his parents. They must be pretty proud of that kid. Uh, for actually saying the truth about these situations. And unfortunately, these situations are present in so many high schools all over the country, not just with racial theories that are insane, but also gender theories that are insane. Pushback from parents, it starts at home, it starts with you, and it starts with you getting involved in your local community. Already, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like today. There's been this amazing event that apparently has happened before at Asbury University. They had a 24-7 revival meeting. It's called the Asbury Revival. And it's drawn tens of thousands of people, like 50,000 people to this tiny Kentucky town over the course of 13 days just to pray. It's not political. It's not like a big Trump event. It's not like a big right wing event. It's just a bunch of people who came to a church. And then over the course of two weeks, essentially, they just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. The fact that this is not drawn kind of intense media coverage is kind of shocking in the sense that. It is a media story when 50,000 people descend on a very small town just to pray and, and find communion with each other and God. Like that, That's an amazing thing. I guess it's not that amazing the media won't cover it because if they had been doing 50,000 people arriving for a 13-day orgy, then the media would be all over it, right? Then the media would be like, ah, this is what American society must be. When people show up to have some good, clean, wholesome prayer with one another and, and in conjunction with religion— that, that's a bad thing, and we can't really pay that much attention to it. But it is an amazing, amazing thing. And the footage from the Asbury Revival is incredible. According to Fox News, the marathon worship service at Asbury University that has drawn tens of thousands of participants from across the country is now being forced to downsize because school officials are saying that it's causing logistical issues for the surrounding area. It's now going to need to move off of campus. The movement began after students actually refused to leave after a chapel service last Wednesday. The services have since grown to pack the school's chapel with worshipers from all over the country. Now, apparently there is a history to this. There's a professor at Asbury who, who talks about this. He's a piece over Christianity Today talking about the, the situation over there. Apparently, students are required to attend a certain number of prayer services, a religious school. Um, and uh, this has happened before where people have, have shown up and then refused to leave because they were feeling the spirit so much. And here's how the professor describes it. Some were reading and reciting scripture. 
Others were standing with arms raised. Several were clustered in small groups praying together. A few were kneeling at the altar rail in front of the auditorium. Some were lying prostrate. Others were talking to one another, their faces bright with joy. They were still worshiping when I left late in the afternoon. And when I came back in the evening, they were still worshiping when I arrived early Thursday morning. And by mid-morning, hundreds were filling the auditorium again. I've seen multiple students running toward the chapel each day. By Thursday evening, there was standing room only. Students had begun to arrive from other universities, University of Kentucky, University of the Cumberlands, Purdue, Indiana Wesleyan, Ohio Christian University, Transylvania University, Midway, Lee University, Georgetown College, Mount Vernon Nazarene University, and many others. He said, some are calling this a revival. I know in recent years that term has become associated with political activism, but let me be clear, no one at Asbury actually has that agenda. Apparently, Asbury does have a history with revivals, including one that took place in 1905 and one in 2006 when a student chapel led to four days of continuous worship, prayer, and praise. It's... You know, the, the fact is that religion requires community. One of the things that we have done by reducing religion to spirituality is we have suggested that what religion really is about is your internal feeling of solidity with God. That is not really what religion is about. Religion does include that component, but that is not the entirety of religion. Religion requires you to commune with others. It is why it happens in churches. It is why in the Talmud, it says that God rests where there are 10 people, where there are 10 men praying together. That's, that's You have to have 10 men to form a minyan, right, in order to do certain aspects of Jewish prayer for each prayer service, we pray three times a day. The idea that a community is built around a common cause is what has allowed the growth of civilization. So just evolutionarily speaking, human beings have a very hard time congregating above a certain number. If you, you can't have that many people on the same page without a higher cause. Otherwise, they tend to break down into tribes, they tend to break down into families. What religion did, historically speaking, is it allowed people to abstract up the chain. Because now you can get Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people on the same page because they were worshiping the same God and aiming for the same thing. And there is something euphoric about worshiping with tens of thousands of other people. I've done it myself. When I, when I go to the Kotel on a Friday night, the, the Western Wall on a Friday night in Israel, in Jerusalem, there is that feeling of we are all here together and we're all doing the same thing and we are all oriented toward a higher purpose. That is a good thing. And that hole in the spirit is filled in our society by either nothing, which is leading to rising tides of chaos, despair, loneliness, or it's filled with really bad causes. People tend to fill it with politics. Politics tends to fill that, that void for a lot of people. And suddenly you're looking at political utopianism, which is why you see all of these sort of very radical political agendas that are driven forward by a feeling of community. That's why a Bernie Sanders rally, for example, turns into almost a religious revival worship service very often. You know, people need that in their lives. People want to feel that feeling of belonging, a feeling of higher purpose, and a feeling they're part of something bigger than themselves. When that is oriented towards something proper, like a relationship with God, a God who calls on you to be moral and good toward your fellow man, that is an amazing, amazing thing. What I'm hoping is that what's happening at Asbury is the forerunner to a broader religious revival, because let's be frank about this. Without religion, society in the West is going to die. It is just that simple. The reason being, secularism cannot uphold the foundations of secularism itself. Secularism is rooted in certain preconditions that only exist because religion exists. Those preconditions include things like demographic growth, fundamental institutions like marriage, a belief in the rational ability to investigate the universe. These are all religious premises, actually, because you can't reason your way to them. And what that means is that if those things fall away, secular society just falls apart, which brings us to the thing that I hate today. So the thing that I hate today is when, when, you, when you look at what's happening in Asbury, let me just tell you about the rest of these people's lives, the people who are actually worshiping at Asbury, the vast majority of them. Here's what's going to happen to the vast majority of those people. They're going to get married. They're going to have kids. 
That's a thing that's going to happen because they have a common purpose. They know people who think like they do and who are oriented toward the same value system. And then they're going to raise those kids within that value system. How do I know that? Because this is what religious people do. Religious people have a path that is led, laid out for them for their lives that is meaningful and purposeful and spiritually fulfilling. When that goes away, what you end up with is mass chaos and loneliness. And that is what this new poll is showing from Pew. According to The Hill, more than 60% of young men are now single. That is nearly twice the rate of unattached young women, signaling a larger breakdown in the social, romantic, and sexual life of the American male. So we have to explain the discrepancy, why only 30% of young women are saying that they are single, but 60% of young males are saying they're single. So some of that is going to be a misalignment of women and men, what they think. Right. So it may be that a woman is dating a man and he's like, well, I'm not really in a relationship. It's like we are totally in a relationship. So it, it may be that there is a misalignment of what people think. And you see this in other polling data as well. It could be that young women are dating older men, which, again, is fairly typical. And men tend to marry a little bit later than women. On average, I, I believe the average age of first marriage for men now in the United States, about 20, 29. The average age of first marriage for women is 26, 27 years old. So it's a slight mismatch in terms of age. But those numbers are just too large to, to really understand outside the context of young men are now isolating themselves. They don't have a religious community. They don't have a place where they feel belonging. They don't feel embedded in a, in a broader social fabric. And they're not finding mates because of that. Because if you think of the places where men used to find the women they would get married to, those places are all social institutions. The kind of TV version of how people meet where the, the meet cute, you're walking down the street, you bump into somebody, you marry that person. That's fairly atypical. Most people who get married tend to meet via church. They tend to meet via friends. They tend to meet at their workplace, right? All places where you have social connections with other people. As those social connections disappear, as you work from home, for example, or as you don't go to church anymore, as you interact with people over the interwebs, it turns out that human relationships just completely fall apart. And so young men are isolating themselves in extraordinary numbers. As The Hill reports, men in their 20s are more likely than women in their 20s to be romantically uninvolved, sexually dormant, friendless, and lonely. They stand at the vanguard of an epidemic of declining marriage, sexuality, and relationships that affects all of young America. Niobe Way, a psychology professor and founder of the Project for the Advancement of Our Common Humanity at New York University, says, we are in a crisis of connection, disconnection from ourselves and disconnection from each other, and it is getting worse. This, of course, is going to have some pretty tragic results because young men commit suicide at four times the rate of young women. Young men are responsible for higher rates of crime. So women are now collecting 60% of bachelor's degrees. So men aren't, aren't even going to college, which is where, again, many men used to meet women and get married to them. Women who are not looking for marriage, who have been told by the feminists, the, the, the matriarchy, they, they've essentially been told that the highest value in life lies in working 2,200 billable hours until you are 40, at which point you've frozen a couple of eggs and you try to find somebody to inseminate those eggs. Right? That is the apotheosis of, of femininity and female achievement. And that, that's creating serious problems for both men and women. The, the idea that women have been liberated along these lines is belied by the fact that women are also experiencing record levels of depression and isolation. Not as bad as men are, but pretty bad. Well, again, all of this happens when you break down the intermediate institutions in society. The biggest intermediate institution in society has always been church. That has always been the intermediate institution in society. When you destroy that, a place where people share values and share a common orientation toward the good, and also share events and get together on a religious basis. When you get rid of those things, it turns out that you destroy all of society. And that is what we are watching in real time right now. All righty. Coming up, we're going to be talking with Steve Krakauer. He is the producer of Megan Kelly's show. But if you want to hear that, you're going to actually have to go over to Daily Wire Plus and subscribe. Become a member today.
We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 